what does Friday mean at the 5 o'clock hour? Well, it's time for Do I Have a Case with Keith Figured of the Figured Law Group. Keith, thanks for joining the Rob O'Donnell Show today. My pleasure, Rob. <laughs> uh, what do we have today? Let me see. Uh, first question. Can you please give an overview of Pennsylvania's Stand Your Ground and Castle Doctrine laws? Are they one and the same? All right, so so they are not one and the same. And again, this is another complex question and can vary depending on the facts of the situation. Um, but to give somewhat of an overview, um, the difference between stand your ground and the castle doctrine is that um, with the castle doctrine, if you feel threatened or are attacked in your quote, I guess, say castle or home, and I believe for purposes of Pennsylvania, it's, and I have to check on this, uh, but I believe it's your home, your place of work, and your vehicle, um, that in those instances, you shouldn't be forced to retreat from the attacker, and you can use deadly force to protect yourself from kidnapping, sexual assault, harm, or death. However, the rule doesn't apply if you're the initial attacker or the intruder is clearly harmless. Um, so again, there is some little nuances and exceptions. Now the stand your ground rule is a little different and in terms of standing your ground, in those instances, there also has to be a justification for the use of deadly force, but there's also additional exceptions such that in those situations, the attacker um, or the person uh, used force against displayed a weapon or firearm capable of deadly use you as um, the individual had reasonable belief that force or deadly force was necessary to protect yourself from sexual assault, kidnapping, or death, and you were legally at the location where the attack occurred. So I guess, I mean, the bottom line is if you're in a situation where you feel your life is uh, threatened, I guess most people are familiar with the saying, it's better to be judged by 12 than to be carried by six. But at the same time, you really got to be careful as far as what actions you take. And in terms of speaking with an officer, it would always be best to contact an attorney and uh, proceed in that way so you know how to best protect yourself as well as any evidence in that type of situation. Great advice there. Great advice. Second question. Um, it's my understanding that you can gift a handgun to an immediate family member under Pennsylvania law. Is there any documentation that should accompany this, like a notarized letter, or is it a media family relationship enough in itself? All right. So in terms of this question, for an immediate family, uh, family member, you can skip the transfer as required if it was anybody else. And in particular, um, you, there's certain long guns that you can also transfer between non-relatives that you don't need uh, to do the transfer of the paperwork. Um, but a handgun is always required to do the transfer with the exception of what is considered uh, an immediate family member or a spouse, which would be a spouse, child, grandchild, parent, uh, or grandparent. Now, as far as the particular paperwork that is concerned, there's really not much I believe that you could really have, I mean, other than possibly making a copy of the person's license. Um, now, although you do not need to do the transfer for a family member, it's important to understand that the reason a lot of times these transfers are done and the background check ran is to make sure the person that you're transferring the gun to is capable of owning it. Because even if it's a family member, if you give that gun to a person that's been precluded uh, for whatever reason or is not able to have that gun, you could be held both criminally and civilly liable. 
Um, so it is always, even though it's allowed to be done, um, it's always in the best interest to transfer because even when you do transfer that gun to a family member, depending on what family member you're giving it to, that gun is always going to remain registered to your name and it's always going to come back to you um, to the extent that something is either if the gun stolen or used in a crime. All right, great advice there. And and just on a side of question, things I've seen throughout my career is if you gift that gun when that person is 22, let's say, and then they're 30 or 40 down the road, maybe have committed a crime between the time you gave it and the time them, that gun is still in your name, and now they're not eligible to possess that firearm. Absolutely. Now, I don't know that if subsequently they became uneligible that they would uh, be in trouble, uh, but if I know for certain if it was at the time, but the the main concern is, as you had said, that uh, gun would remain in that individual's name for basically um, forever unless that individual then went to sell it and then transferred it um, out of, of that original name. Got it. Got it. Thank you, Keith. Um, last question here today. And again, they're shorter questions today, but they're just as as complex as previous weeks. So you're not getting off the hook. Uh, With the cost of auto insurance ever increasing, can you give an overview of what's called tort coverage? What's full tort versus partial tort versus no tort? All right. So initially, um, just to clarify, in Pennsylvania, insurance companies offer full tort coverage, which gives covered individuals the right to sue in court for full damages and limited tort coverage, which uh, restricts the ability to sue for pain and suffering. And basically what that means and the difference is between the two, and there's only those two that are offered, is that under the full tort, it basically provides protections for you as a driver if somebody hits you to be able to sue or to recover all of the damages that are applicable under Uh, that claim. Whereas if you limit your tort, you limit, and it's primarily the non-economic or the pain and suffering, loss of life, pleasures, those types of damages that you would be uh, precluded from recovering unless you met a certain uh, threshold, which is defined by the corresponding insurance company's contract. And basically, if you overcome that threshold, then you can still overcome um, that limited tort. Now, um, I always and whether it be a family member or otherwise would advise them to get the full tort because it's usually not that much more and it provides additional protections for you as a driver uh, which a lot of times in pa if the other person that hits you a lot of times they don't have sufficient damages or coverage in and of itself Um, and then one other thing as far as there are exceptions where even if you do have limited tort in pennsylvania if a drunk driver caused the accident and they're convicted or go through an ard program that would allow you to Uh, forego the limited tort. An uninsured driver, if they hit you under Pennsylvania, would be an exception. Car registered in another state. Now, in in that particular instance, it's not where the driver is from that controls, but rather where the car is registered. And then if it's a commercial vehicle or uh, motorcycle, and then if it's a pedestrian or bicycle rider that's hurt by an automobile, there would all be exceptions to that limited tort. Oh, great information there again. Uh, Keith, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? They can contact me directly at 570-954-9299. All right, and you can contact me at robert.odonnell at odyssey.com to submit your questions to Keith, and we'll get them to him either next week or the week after, depending on how many we get. Keith, I appreciate you joining the Rob O'Donnell Show this week. It's my pleasure, Rob, and like I said, always a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great weekend.
Take care. Thanks.